Hi, my name is Stephen Sindoni. Today is Saturday, May 19, 2012. My guest is Ramon Almonte. Ramon is a native New Yorker of Dominican parentage who was raised on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. At an early age, Ramon fell in love with ufology, science fiction, and spirituality, which was very instrumental in molding who he is as a person developing his character. Ramon is presently the co-host of the 100th Monkey radio show that used to be heard weekly on BBS radio on the internet, but now it can be heard on YouTube. Ramon is also the author of a book entitled Scratching the Cosmic Conscious. Ramon is presently residing in Japan. Ramon, I'd like to welcome you to Stevens World Talk Radio. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I really appreciate you bringing me on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, you're a very interesting fellow, and I, I think uh, it's important that the public get to find out who Ramon Amante is today. Well, uh, let's see. It all started, um, I was born in like 1976 in New York, as everybody knows. But um, start. I think my earliest memory was I had an out-of-body experience when I was it was either two or three because I was still in the crib. And as I'm looking at my baby bottle, I'm trying to grab it and my hand's going through, through it. And my hand keeps going through the baby bottle and I was getting frustrated and that's all I really remember. But after that, to move a little fast forward, my parents, um, my, especially on my mother's side, they were very into um, Santeria. So that was like my beginning spirituality on one side. And then on the other side, my father was a Baptist. So don't ask me how those two ended up together, because my mother was practicing. And Santeria, for those of you who don't know, is the combination of the African religion Yoruba, which is from the west coast of Africa, and um, Catholicism. So most slaves in the Caribbean and in most places couldn't practice their religion, so they had to cover it up. And they took their deities and covered it with with the saints from the from the Catholic religion. So, as as um, that went on, I, I, my parents, you know, like a lot of American kids, go through divorce, and I went through my really angry stage. But there was a teacher I had, and her name was Miss Mint. And this is fourth grade, so it's like. 1980s, 86, 87. And anyway she was the first person to teach me on meditation. And her meditation is very simple. It's like she took you into this, um, you were on a beach, you imagine you're on a beach, you floated up into the clouds, and then when you were in the clouds, you brought in the what she called a blue pearl, which was amazing that a teacher in that time period was actually doing this. And of course, you know the principal and, and the other um, the other teacher the other teachers didn't know about this. She did this kind of quiet and hush hush. So I think she was very instrumental in help opening me up. But I practiced for a while, like maybe six months. But you know, being a nine year old boy, nine or ten year old boy, you kind of like you know fall back in. But at that time, I. Um, I, I really, you know, there was a, a guy who introduced me to the the famous plant uh, marijuana, so I kind of like closed up for many years and and moved on. And then to fast forward, you know, my parents got divorced, and I was going, to, like I was saying, I was going to the angry stage. And when I got around seventeen, as my um, my partner in my radio show, my radio show always says the proverbial two by four hit me in the face, and I, I won't go into details, but I got in trouble with the law, and you know it's the first time when you're facing the like you might do time, you know, because at that time I wanted to be a tough guy, and we were like the kids I was hanging out with at the time, we were like forming a wannabe gang and. And at this point, you know, I saw myself like, uh-oh, I, I, you know, I might be locked up for a couple of years and, you know, I, I, I might become someone's girlfriend. And that really scared <laughs> the crap out of me. 
So you, you grew up, you grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Is that not correct? Yeah, which is uh, not too far from Columbia University. But at that time, you know, the Columbia students did not cross, you know, past a certain point because it was it wasn't like dangerous and you know shoot 'em up kind of thing. But it, it wasn't. It was a kind of it was a sketchy neighborhood. And if you go now, it's just overpriced and all these really nice restaurants and but back then it was like predominantly uh, um and uh, black neighborhood and it, i don't know it, it was just like the crack infestation was just all over the place so you would say so, it was territorial then the neighborhoods in that time very territorial very, especially when it came to to the whole thing with the drug spots and, and stuff like that, and you know a lot of the, you know for for us growing up, our heroes were the drug dealers, and that's that's horrible that you know that that's who your heroes are are these drug dealers who and some of the the big heroes that even to this day they've been dead like for twenty years and people still talk about them like they did something great, but really. What did they contribute to society? But not not to go off topic too much, but um, so I got back into meditation, you know, and that really woke me up. I I got a change. I, that's the first hint in my life that was like I have to make a change. I have to become someone different. This person I am now is just going to lead me down a bad path, and I don't like it. So I started reading a lot of books, and you know, it, this brings me a f very funny story. In 1994, um, this we were like at that time, I was in a this park called Morningside Park in Harlem, and we were like you know, drinking and and smoking pot, and this guy brings out this book, and the book is. David Icke's book and I think it was the first book he wrote and he's like so into it he's telling us about it I'm like oh that's all BS man you know like and then the the irony about it is that now like I'm a huge fan of David Icke and I have the utmost respect for him and to to look at him back then as like Oh, that's all BS, really not knowing what I was talking about, having no prior knowledge to any of it. But to move uh, forward, you know, I've had like a lot of, in my family, um, there's been a lot of, especially on my father's side, there's been a lot of weird um, things. Like, for example, my grandmother has, there was, when my father was really young, there was this, uh, what she called a really tall man in in the in the room. She wakes up and is really tall man, and I, I'm not really sure the story what he looked like. But he was this really tall man in the room, and she asked him like, "What are you doing here?" And he didn't like want to answer, so she got kind of scared and grabbed some scissors. And according to her, she threw the scissors at the guy, and he got and his it hit his arm and it hit the wall, and the guy turned into a cat and then ran away. And then with my, um, so I'm just giving you a brief history of, of what I know of my family. And on my with my father, he's always, like, seen entities. And one of the entities he's seen is, like, greys and stuff like that. So within my family, this is kind of a common occurrence kind of thing. So I always wonder, like, what's really happening there? But, uh, um, oh, to regress back a little bit, to to finish that up, when I was, how old was I? I, was, I think I was either 18 or 19, I went to a psychic. And because of the prior trouble I have gotten into, I was a, a little worried of retribution. And so I went to a psychic, and the psychic was, was telling me, like, you know you're being watched. and uh, And then I was like, by who and she was and she was like very resistant to tell me but then she finally said she says you know you have 
aliens that watch you. And I was like, what? And again, it was just that, you know, right away I kind of closed up and I was just like, this woman's crazy. I thought in my mind, what a waste of money. But, you know, finding out about my, my father and my grandmother is more like, well, you know, she might be right. I've had had, you know, since then I've had some weird stuff happen, so that only on shows like this I can talk about. <laughs> talk about I, this stuff in my neighborhood. It just blew me out. Well, that's why I'm giving you the opportunity to have the forum here because these are things that you can't talk on the street corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it kills me because we we can talk about, you know, the latest sneakers and, you know, what superstar got, got uh, drunk last night, but, you know, we can't talk about what reality really is and and what our conscious is really you know what what are we really here for because i know damn well we're not here to pay taxes and then die as some people say i'll tell you what i'll tell you what we're here for we're here to talk about your book i like to talk about scratching the cosmic conscious by the way i found it thoroughly enjoying I'd like you to tell the listeners what inspired you to write this book, Ramon. Well, I, uh, let's go back to 2002. I had uh, just finished reading The Alchemist. And between The Alchemist and a friend of mine who was psychic, I always wanted to come to Japan. But I was always waiting for something to happen to bring me here. Something else had to bring me here. And and uh, I read The Alchemist, and I saw the way, you know, for those of you who never read this book, you need to read it. When I told my friend about, you know, always oh, when I go to Japan, she kind of went into this, like, real weird vibe that she gets into, and her face kind of goes blank, and then I guess she, she was channeling. It's the best way I can describe it. And she said, if you don't go soon... To Japan you'll never go and the reason why I'm bringing this up of the inspiration when I went to when I came to Japan I came with I brought the ticket I had $800 in my pocket and I found of a, a girl I had met she was like okay I'll rent you the room for for uh, it was like $400 when you do the exchange rate $400 a month, so, you know, I gave her the money, so now I'm flat broke. And another person I knew got me a job at washing dishes. So when I was there, I it was Christmas, it was Christmas, and they don't really celebrate Christmas here. So I'm by myself, and I'm walking, and I pass a canal, and I was so depressed because it was the first Christmas without my family. And then that's when I was looking at the water and something about the water just hit me and that feeling of depression was gone. It was my first feeling of being at one. So after that, I felt like I need to write a book. I need to write a book. And then came 2007. The whole time I had that yearning to write a book, but I wasn't sure I would like start a page on you know one book and then not do it and start a couple pages for another book and not do it. And 2000, yeah, like 2007, I said, I need to sit down and write this book. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to write about my personal experience, but also adding into it the experience I would love to have and where I would love to be. So this book is basically about the spiritual journey of a person and where we can be at. Your main character in your book is named Trevor, who also happens to be Dominican as you are. Is this book a reflection of Ramon Almonte? Um, it's an exaggerated version of me, a couple of friends. There's other people in combined with that character. So there's, there's, um, there's a lot of me in there, obviously. And there's a little bit of other people as well involved with it. But with the, with the character, he goes through his trials and tribulation as 
as I did myself. So that that's an obvious one. But there's with if you look at the context, I, there the name of each chapter is not like accidental either. Would you like me to go into that now, or, or do you want to yeah, save that for a little later? One of the things I want to say is that. The storyline in your book, Scratching the Cosmic Conscious, which I, I encourage everyone to read it, to me raised many questions about a person's spiritual path. Can you embellish upon the importance of that for the listeners, the spiritual path? Well, when you strip away everything, let's take away your money, let's take away your house, let's even take away your physical body. What are you left with? You're left, you're left with a spirit, a consciousness. And that's who you really are. You're not a human person having, having a, a, a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual person, a, a spiritual being having a human experience. So scratching the cosmic conscience, the reason why I picked that is because we're barely starting to scratch this universal conscious, this cosmic conscious, this great beyond that we barely understand, that we've put so many labels on. And we are that. We're part of that. We are that. There is no separation in that. Just like there's no separation between Ramon Almonte and Steve Sidoni. But there's, there's that perspective of separation. You know, that's a good point because after reading your book, I came away with a deeper appreciation for life and the universe, knowing that we are all connected. Was that your intention in writing the book? You know, in the beginning... To be honest with you, I really didn't know where I was going. So writing the book was a journey for myself. And whenever I, you know, it took me six years. And whenever I didn't write, I felt like I was letting Trevor down. So as Trevor's character grew, I grew. And the book started defining itself. You know, things w would come to me. And I would get inspired from different things. And because of writing this book, actually pushed me right heavy into my own spiritual path. So at that time, I, you know, I was doing meditation, but I wasn't really doing research like I am now. I wasn't doing a radio show. I wasn't meeting all these other people that were really into this. So, you know, you would hear people here and there talk about all the different aspects of life, but... I wasn't really reading all these books that I'm reading now. I wasn't, you know, writing, taking notes down, and, and the best of all, the people that I'm meeting because of this book. So in writing the book, the book defined itself. Um, what does that mean exactly? I'm not really sure. I'm still figuring that one out. But the character Trevor, I think the character Trevor is a reflection of just a human species just as the the um, alien species that I call the arboreals are. Um, but they're where, what I would say, where we want to be at. So it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the preschooler looking at the high school student who's graduating into college and saying, oh, I'm going to be there one day. So when you have... Our, my main character meets these these alien species, and they're more advanced. And it's not that they're better, that they're gods. It's that they're just at a higher grade. So one day we will be there. So that's what I mean by the book was defining itself, because now Trevor has somebody to look up to. And this is, you know, the the most important thing that I want you to get from the book. If you don't get anything else and you think, you know, whatever you think about the book, the most important thing that I want you to get is that you don't need a master. You are your own master. You are your, your own sovereign being. And that's who you need to find. You don't need to go out and look and, you know, do all these things. You are your own guru. You are your own sifu, your master, your sensei. That's who you are. And so you are your student and master. I found your book, Scratching the Cosmic Conscious, fascinating. As I said, to me it was a cross between Avatar, The Matrix, and Reality 101 growing up in New York City. What I thought <laughs> it was, 
it was a, it's a, really a, a first-class adventure, and it's spiritually charged with sci-fi novel, and it has some roots. It's got some backbone. Even a Jules Verne a journey with a time machine, uh, sort of a twist to it. So I encourage everyone who are listening here to get this book, Scratching the Cosmic Conscious, because you will all thoroughly enjoy this book, as, as I have. Yeah, I am. Um... I really appreciate that. One of the writing things I, I would do is like, I would play either like some chakra music or some indigenous music or Navajo music, something to inspire me because what I what I kept repeating every time before I started writing was like, let me tap in, let me tap in. Because I didn't just want to write something to write, you know. It, if it inspires you, you know, if it inspires one person, and they make a difference in this world, then I made a difference in this world. And that's, and, and that's what matters. So to help inspire others and inspire myself, because, you know, the more I grow, the people around me grow. Well, i got to tell you, it inspired me tremendously. I have an interview to do probably Tuesday. It's taken me into a, a direction that I wanted to go in, but by reading your book... It allowed me to go more spiritually deeper into the solutions that I want to present as we go forward. A question for you, Ramon. Has living in Japan, in a different culture, helped you to better understand the shortcomings of our Western civilization? Yes. I no longer look at it that way. I look at it this way. I look at it as like it's helped me to understand the shortcomings of the human species. Not only, you know, because... The Japanese culture has its, definitely has its shortcomings, as so does, I think, all societies. There is this one side you have certain things from the Western cultures that's just terrible, and then on the other side, like, okay, so for example, in the United States, it's a pretty dangerous place, but not everywhere, but you can't just put your wallet down and expect no one to pick it up. Well, guess what? In Japan, I can put my wallet down and leave it on the train and forget about it and then come back a month later and someone had picked it up, gave it to the police, and the police have it there and all the money's in there. It's almost 90% sure that, that that's going to happen. You know, unless a foreigner walks by it first, then you're in trouble. But <laughs> on the other side, then you have this apathy in Japan that is like, if you fall down, well, you better hope that someone helps you out because there's a good chance no one's going to help you out. They're just going to walk by because it's not my problem. I don't get involved. If I ignore it, it'll go away. So you have this these terrible things on both sides. So what living in Japan has helped me is like, okay, what's good for my society and what's good for this society? And let's combine that. You know, and, and that's something that I started, I, I, as I was getting deeper into writing the book, I started putting in more and more solutions, and these things were coming to me, and it's like, you know, what what vision do I want to see into, the, into our, our own future? How can we live? And just to give you a little background with the um, aliens without giving it away, but they're a society that, that's has combined the technology into the plants. So when you when you look at it, you know, I can have all these massive computers and all these things, and you won't even know. All you'll see is a forest, and it's just regular plants. And their transportation, everything is out of, you know, it's made out of plants. So it grows and dies. And I think that's the direction we should be going in. Yes. Ramon, without letting the cat out of the bag, so to speak, what would you say would be the moral of your story? Is there a lesson in the book, Scratching the Cosmic Conscious, for the reader to learn? Uh, yes, that you are your own master. You are your savior. You are who you're waiting for. Um, you are the change that you want to see, as Mahatma Gandhi. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. That's who you are. Because Trevor... Trevor went from, from you know, this, there's a part where he completely breaks down. And he he reaches to this 
other part and that's you know and that's our goal so what I want you to take away with this is that you are who you're waiting for you know waiting for these aliens to come down and save us or these or, or you know Jesus or Buddha whoever you're into you are that person in your book here when I was reading there was your, one of your characters is named Felicia who happened to be Trevor's girlfriend who uh I won't give this away, who Trevor was madly in love with. And uh, was this someone that you knew personally that you, uh, so why, why you use her in the book? Okay, so this is a funny story. So actually, this was, no one in my life died that way tragically. But sometimes you learn a hard lesson. And in 2005, I had a girlfriend I was madly in love with. And she always had her doubts about our relationship. So when our relationship ended, it was like she died. So it was, you know, she pulled away from me so fast that it was like she she had died. So for me personally, I went through a very, like, I shut down emotionally. Like, I became very cold. Yeah, your character, Felicia, put a, a very big uh, strain on uh, the character Trevor's psyche, where he had a hard time handling with, with the loss. And as I read that, I just thought it was important to ask you today what the correlation was between that character and if it was, you know, came out of a, a personal situation. So I'm glad that you, you shared that with me because you explained it very, very emotionally, and I came away saddened by the loss reading the book, and I felt the closeness to the character based on what he was going through. Because if anyone's ever lost someone, I've lost my brother and other family members, it's, it's hard to put into words what that loss means to you, especially if you really love that person and you weren't ready for them to leave you or if they leave you in such a tra tragic type of a fashion. So I commend you for uh, your description of uh, Trevor's uh, pains that he was going through. You did a great job in explaining that in the book. Thank you. Um, you know, we've, we've all lost people. Um, you know, I've, I've lost friends and family to some some tragic stuff but you know at the same time is with Trevor he he goes to it and you know not only that it's that what you know what you must know is that you don't die you know you lose your your physical shell it's like you know the car is junked well, what you do with the junk car, you, you kind of throw it away, so you bury the body. But the, the soul, the spirit, the essence, that's not gone. You know, uh, science says that energy can't be destroyed or made. So wh what does that mean? I mean, the first time I heard that, that to me proved that that there was life after death. Well, interesting we, we talk about that now, but you know me for a number of years now, and I made the journey out from New York to California in search of the legend of J.C. Brown, a fictitious name where later I learned the man's name was John Benjamin Body, only to find out later. Fortunately for me, after I discovered his true identity, I was able to get a photo of the man, and the man looks exactly like me. And when I went to California and I found tunnels, I found different things leading to... Uh, what the man had found 90 years before, I realized the only way this could have happened is I had to have been John Benjamin Body. So I learned in this lifetime one of my layers, and I'm fortunate for that. And m many people listening to this might have a hard, hard time believing that, you know, we don't die and re reincarnate. But I'm here to tell you that if you listen you will get signals and signs that will show you that we don't die. We continue to evolve and we come back on this planet to, uh, to be able to learn and be perfect with the Creator. I agree. We're, we're constantly in a learning phase and 
I don't know how that idea came that we just died and then either you A, go to hell or B, go to heaven. And I kind of, you know, as a kid, I used to always find that as like, that's kind of a waste. You know, like I have to come here, be obedient, and then either uh, live in a city of gold, you know, the way it was described to me, or I burn in hell. And I was like, boy, that kind of sucks. <laughs> it reminds me of an old Bill Cosby joke. You must obey, you know. Obey, it sounds like, you know, an oboe. You know, what's this fire and brimstone? I thought I thought our God was a loving God, you know. Not one yeah, what happened? <laughs> you know, so w w was this God wearing colors? Was he in a motorcycle gang or something? What happened to the God, the loving God that that I, I, I've come to know in my heart? So it's, it's interesting uh, when you get that coming from the powers that be trying to put you in fear when it comes to your own individual spirituality. Yeah, and and I got to give a lot of thanks to um, James Gilliland because that, when you get to the, um, that's the, that's um, the last chapter, and I won't give it away, but there's a part where he actually meets a version of God. And that, not the whole thing, but some of it comes from, from James Gilliland's own, own experience when he died. And for those of you who um, are familiar with him, uh, um, that's where I got that, that part was from his own experience. So, you know, what, what is it that we're here for? What are we looking for? You know, why, why bother, you know? And you're here for growth. This is a school, you know. That, that's, at least that's the way I look at it, and that's from my perspective. You don't well, have to agree with it. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody has their own perspective. I personally know James Gilland. I've been on his ranch, as I know you have, and I've seen some... Uh, Hard to explain things while being uh, on his <laughs> ranch that <laughs> d defy logic. And uh, can I quickly tell a quick story here? Yes, please. All right. And I, I don't think I've ever told you this. We're on the ranch the first night there. And uh, we're out there looking at the stars out in the, uh, the field there where everybody sits with the chairs in a circle. There must have been about 30 people, but it started to rain. And this is back in 2008, and this was 8808, uh, so it's uh, the big eight, so to speak. Wow. But it started, started to rain, so we, we all went back to our tents, sort of housing, and I went in my tent, and my girlfriend and I had separate tents, and uh, it was about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at this time, and we both fell asleep. About three hours later, I was awakened by a presence over my tent that was about eight foot in height. I look over, I thought it was a bear out of my tent. Now, my, my front screen was closed, Ramon, so I couldn't see out, thank God. So I got my boots on. When I unzipped the screen, whatever it was had, had disappeared. And I'm looking out, and I don't see anything, but now you hear the dogs barking and the flashlights and, and a big commotion. While this is going on, I get out and I'm looking for this thing, whatever it was, and I'm looking out in the field, I don't see anything. So I ran into this fellow Michael there, and he told me, did you see it? I said, I saw something. It's about eight foot tall. He goes, other people have seen it. So I go out, and I sat there in a circle now from 3 o'clock in the morning till 6 till the sun comes up. Now, Renee comes over at 6, and she says to me, she says, she goes, I heard you and Michael talking. I says, yeah. She says, uh, she said, I thought I heard you around 2 o'clock get out of your tent and walk in front of the tent in the field there, which is, you know, uh, would be right in front of Mount Adams there. She says, I thought maybe you had to relieve yourself or something. But then I looked, and she says, wait a minute. Stephen's about 5'6 or 5'7. This figure I'm looking at is about 8 feet tall, and it was looking at her for about 20 minutes and just stood still there and she like she like lost it she said please don't hurt me and she was sending thoughts to this entity or this being 
So she's telling me this, and then right after that, people started waking up, and I'm still sitting there in the circle, and they were saying uh, a lot of people saw this large being. And uh, then I ran into James in the morning, and James, I told James what had happened. He says, yeah, he says, uh, my sister saw it as well. Uh, they visit us quite often. So I just figured I'd share that with you, that there are uh, the tall ones among us, probably living underneath the hollows of Mount Adams. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i seen some weird stuff there. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance, but, you know, what you should have done was got an interview. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad that I did not have my front zipper open because at 2 o'clock in the morning, I might have had a heart attack remote. I mean, that's something... Because, you know, I, I was in a little pup tent, and what would have happened was if I, I had unzipped the zipper when I saw this ominous shadow overneath, over my, my tent, it would have been probably too much to handle because it was pitch dark, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I don't know what my reaction would have been. I'm not, I'm not uh, John Wayne, for that matter, and I don't think the unexpected would have been good for my heart at that particular time. Although, you know, <laughs> as I said, I had just come away from, you know, being in the field there, and you, you could vouch for this, seeing some amazing uh, craft in the sky that when James would, would flick his uh, laser light, they would power back with a light as though they were acknowledging his laser light going up and beaming up into space. Yeah. Agreed. I've definitely seen that more than once. I got a funny story about the, the ranch really quick. Um, when I was there, when I was I there? Um, 2010, I, I was staying there for three weeks. And towards the last week, everybody, you know, the conference was over and everybody went back. And that was the first time I, I got to meet my partner in the radio show, Tom. And he went back already. And I was, I was, uh, um, you know, I was walking around the ranch, and everybody was already tired, and so a lot of people who were there, I went to sleep early. So it's maybe like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm thinking, okay, if I'm gonna have contact, this is the perfect night to have contact. There's nobody around. I don't want to hear any excuses. So I'm like walking around the property. So finally, I get tired, go to sleep, and. I don't know how much longer later, but I wake up and there's this green light flashing on the wall. And I was like, oh shit, this is it. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I was, um, you know, I was like, uh-oh, this is it. We're, we're making um, contact, but I'm scared out of my mind. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to make contact. You got to turn around. No, no, wait, wait, what, what, who, who is it? And finally, when I when I had the cojones to turn around, it was the coffee, the coffee pot, the timer on the coffee pot flashing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I finally I I told myself I said, "Be careful what you ask for. You might get it." You know, and it's like we're always talking about let's make contact, let's make contact. But are we truly really ready? And I mean. It's easy for you to say, yeah, I'm ready, you know, yeah. But when you really face with it, how would you react? Because the last thing you want to react is in an ignorant way, which is like, I'm going to get my gun or, or, you know, pick up a bat. It's like, these guys just flew here from wherever. Well, you know, you're and, right. It's like the universe has a sense of humor. For me, like the following year in 9909, I'm up on Mount Shasta, another, you know, three-digit uh, numerology year and we're up there and everybody's wanting to see a craft a presence something at the mountain because a lot of craft are seen not, not only mount adams but mount shasta as well so we're up there and it's a full moon that night i believe and <clears throat> up there a couple of hours so finally we come down from the mountain and we're we're in front of my residence so we we're praying there i take sage out and I do a little spiritual uh, saging of the area where I'm at. And all of a sudden, after about 10 minutes of us doing this, we look up and the cloud 
just opens up this large lenticular cloud and what we see is about a dozen large craft that's flying above us and must have been lasted for about 10 minutes it made its way east away from us so it had uh, left the mountain and was going east and you could see it for about 10-15 minutes and then all of a sudden the cloud lenticular cloud just closed up and my friend and I looked at each other and she says, I'm glad I wasn't alone when I saw this because no one would believe what we both just saw. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, there was a, another time uh, back at Iseti where it was my last day and I was coming I was coming back to New York. I was still living in New York at that time, so I was flying back to New York. And there was this guy and these two girls from Australia there and we're sitting there it's a cold night even though it's summertime um, Mount Adam gets really cold at nighttime so anyway we're we're sitting there we're bundled up in our jackets and I see what looks like a satellite coming over just like a satellite except this stops and it's like to be uh, what's that? To the right of Mount Adams, and it stops. And all of a sudden, there was this flash of light, like someone took a, a, a picture. And all you saw was the best way I can explain this was like a blue plasma cloud dispersing. It didn't look like regular cloud. It looked like plasma, like a blue plasma dispersing. And I don't know what that meant, what just happened. You know, I hope their engine didn't backfire or something or whatever they use. But I was I was amazed by that. Well, you know, another interesting thing, when I, while I was on the ranch, uh, the amount of orbs that people had photographed, because uh, everyone had their cameras at night and everyone would be taking pictures. I mean, you would see hundreds of orbs and a lot of people's different photographs that were hovering right there on James's property, which uh, there are a few places that I've ever seen that many orbs in one place. So I don't know if there's a portal in that area there. It must be some sort of a, uh, a gateway there, which allows his property to have all these unusual things happening. Yeah, um, that's one thing he, he, there's like some kind of vortex there and I don't know when the last time you went up there, but he has like a Tibetan wheel, and that's where he thinks that's like the main spot for it. And, you know, the energy there is just amazing. It's just really, really, really amazing. Um, I, I was, uh, sometimes people go up there and just have spontaneous feelings, or the dreams that people have up there are just crazy. So what what's next for you? Well, I'm working on another book, and um, you know I, I'm hoping this one would be a lot faster than six years. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to work on it a little more, and you know keep doing the the show and trying to raise the consciousness here by bringing you know great guests on. Well, speaking so, of the show, yeah. can you can you tell the listeners how they can listen to that show? Yeah, um, it's called the Hundredth Monkey Radio Show, and it's with me and Tom. And you can just go to www the hundredth. Make sure you put the th monkeyradio.com. And uh, um, we do a weekly show, and we usually air it on Sundays. I'm always thinking like. <laughs> in Japanese time, so that would be Mondays in, in Japan, but Sunday afternoons, we re no, sorry, we release it in the morning around 10 a.m. Pacific time. It's when we release it. So, or you can go also over to YouTube, to um, Tom's YouTube channel, which is Tao2929. And also I have a link right on there where you can find a book um, you can find the book on Amazon and Creative Space. And for those of you that go to eSETI, um, you can find it there as well. So you can save yourself the shipping costs and just <laughs> pick it up there. Yeah. Well, as, I, 
As I said, Ramon, your book, Scratching the Cosmic Conscious, is a very, very interesting book. One that I, I had difficulty putting it down once I picked it up to read it. And within a couple of days, as I promised you, that I was going to read it cover to cover. I came away very impressed with Trevor's journey in the book and the way you articulated things and the way you expressed spirituality based on your perceptions of it and you did a great job with that in the book there so I I have to tell you anyone out there listening you know please go to Ramon's site there and uh, pick up a copy of Scratching the Cosmic Consciousness because it's well worth reading I really appreciate it Um, do we have a little time because I wanted to go over the uh, contents um, the name of the chapters Sure, we've got at least uh, 10 minutes or so, Ramon. Go right ahead. Oh, okay. So I'll go over real quick. Um, So I have uh, nine chapters, and I picked the names specifically. Um, So, for example, Finding My Bliss is the name of the first chapter. So, you know, what is it that's going to make you happy, you know? So that's, that's where we need to start. Once we realize, okay... I don't like this journey that I'm on right now. So what is your bliss? So you need to find that. Um, Prepping, you know, how can you prepare yourself? What is it, the tools you need? And one of the tools I would personally recommend is is meditation. And what is meditation? Um, Well, we know prayer is talking to God. But as some other people say, meditation is listening. You know, too often we do too much talking and don't listen enough. Um, I teach English here, and I'm always telling my kids that. <laughs> so, um, you know, prepare, preparing yourself. Uh, the next one would be jumping off the emotional bridge. And that is, you know, the trauma that you're carrying with you. You know, releasing that, that, that that trauma we all have our issues there's not one story here that you know that doesn't have issues we're challenged you know so it's it's releasing those things um the next chapter i called it downloading the soul um that's basically is coming in contact with your true nature what are you are you just a bag of bones that pays taxes I don't think so. So, you know, bringing that higher awareness, that higher self into our 3D awareness, um, not that different. Well, when you really look down into it, we're not that different from each other. We all want the same things. We want a good life. We we want our three square meals. We want our, our close ones to be safe and sound. You know, we want to be happy. We want to find happiness. Um, It's not the journey. I'm sorry, it's not the place, but the journey. And, you know, this, what we call life, it's a journey. And it's not, you know, we're so focused on what's going to happen tomorrow, but what's happening right now, this second, you know, I'm enjoying this conversation I'm having with with Stephen. You know, that's what's important right now. Not you know, did I pay the bills? So I gotta wake up in the morning. No, that's not important. What's important now is that me and Steve are enjoying ourselves in this conversation. For example, um, man in the mirror, friend or foe. You can be your best friend, or you can be your worst enemy. And that that could be the worst person in your life or the best person in your life is yourself. And in that chapter, uh, I'll go over it really quickly, but I had, um, when was it, 2008, I think it was, or seven, I spent two weeks in silent meditation at a place called Vespasia in up in Massachusetts. And by the sixth day, I was completely out of my mind. And that really helped me get in contact with myself. Contradictions. We're, we're always putting this facade for other people and ourselves. 
and <clears throat> what we're always contradicting ourselves and all the different things. So, for example, you look at the Bible, you're you see all these contradictions in the Bible. Uh, and the last one is, if you want something, give it away. So, for example, you you want to reach a, a higher state, then help other people. That doesn't mean go intrude on them, but help them. You know, if they ask you for your help, help them. And that's, you know, giving, giving away that love. And that's pretty much it. Well, you know, you're right, though. I think what we need to learn is to be in service, and to be in service, you go into your heart, to love everyone as, you know, uh, you, you want to be loved and, and, and share that and reciprocate that, and I think that, that'll help us all on the journey. Ramon, this has been a fantastic hour that we've spent. Uh, tell everyone about your book, where they can get it again, please. Um you can go over to Amazon and just type it in or to create a space, or you can go to our website, which is uh, com. Make sure you put the TH at the end of 100 com, and then you scroll down, and you can find the links there. Um, and... Up front, I want to thank anybody who purchased the book. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Steve. I've had a wonderful time. Well, so have I. And, and uh, a pitch for your book uh, one last time here, uh, Scratching the Cosmic Conscious. Please get this book because it will help you on your own personal journey. And I, I was enthralled with the book, Ramon, I must tell you, and knowing you, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to call you friend, but it'll help everyone better understand that man in the mirror. It's been great today, Ramon. Any final words you want to leave with the listeners? Um, well, the most important thing is be the change you want to see in the world. You know, don't don't talk about it. Be about it. You know, don't complain. The world sucks. Make it better. You know, and and we're not talking about move a mountain in one day, but, you know, Little by little, little by little. Well, you're exactly right. I'm, I'm wholehearted in agreement with you. Again, uh, thank you for coming on this late hour. I know it's late there in Japan, and it's early here on in, uh, in America right now for me. So I want to thank you for coming on at this late hour. But it seemed like this was the best time that worked for us. But just know that I uh, enjoyed having you on here today, and if you one other opportunity is just let me know if you want to continue the dialogue uh, we can continue that so uh, again I want to thank you Ramon and I want to thank the listeners for listening to Stevens World Talk Radio it's been a pleasure and very enjoyable thank you Ramon thank you I'll talk to you soon bye bye have a good night <laughs>